nice difference. Mm. And so minor landscapes are about um, being under the ground as well as being on top of the ground. Like working in Mount Lyle, it's working underground. I mean, I wasn't doing any mining or anything such like the other guys, but you know, I think I was there just to have a look, really, and go through those um, dark moments and working, you know, going to work in the dark, working in the dark, come home in the dark some days. That was the most, and play in the dark as well. So I think it was just to experience all that and do what I did before and then come back here and make art about it not really knowing uh, the outcome. Yeah, I lost the thread of where we were going with that, but uh, the, oh, the, the West Coast. I'm Emily Kyle, and this is Local. This is a conversation recorded with Queenstown-based multidisciplinary artist. David Fitzpatrick. David is a person I would absolutely call my friend. We recorded together in November on a beautiful sunny day. We'll start from the beginning. Sounds like a plan. Mm-hmm. You were born in Queenstown? 1958. I was born here, <laughs> the local hospital. Yeah. I think that you're the only person that I've spoken to that was born in Queenstown. I don't know if there's any other artist born here in Queenstown. Maxine Brown, maybe. Ah, maybe. I don't know about Ivan Stringer. Mm, I'll have to find out. I've spoken to him about being on the podcast, so we'll see. Yeah, so um, born here in Queenstown, you did all your school here? Yep, till grade 10 and then into the, did an apprenticeship, electrician. Mel Lyle. Yeah. Went away, came back and worked underground on the shaft, Prince, Prince Lyle shaft. Mm. What was that like? Uh, it was all right. It was a job. It wasn't what I wanted to do. No. But you don't know what you want to do when you're young, do you? Really? No. Don't suppose. I mean, I think some people, some people do, and they're the lucky ones. Yes, they yeah. are. Find their path early. How long did it take you to find your creative path? I was thirty-two, I think, when I went to uni. Yeah. Mm. And the guy that started me off lives in town now. Started me off at Carrick, dropping books off and having a chat, watched him paint in my ex-mother-in-law's garden. Really? Mm. And who's that? Ray Arnold. Wow, I feel like he has been so supportive of so many different people. And he set everyone on their path, a lot of people on their path, not everyone, but a lot of people. Mm. Mm. And what was your family like? Growing up here, what was your mother like, your father? Oh, oh. Mm. Well, I might go down that path, that's all right. Yeah, of course. Is that cool? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. no, it's not. It was a hard life. Mm. Growing up poor, if you want. Mm. Uh, you know what it's like. My father likes to drink and likes a good time, and mother sort of supports the children, I suppose. Mm. But yeah, I don't want to go down that path, that's all right. We'll stay cool. on the light side of things. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's a common it's a common story. It's a hard story, I think. Dizzy near, Queenstown. Pardon? It is a common story in Queenstown, I would imagine. I had yeah. it, I had it easier than some. Mm. 
something about, um, especially at, at that time, you know, in the 60s, working class family, it's, um, it's hard. Do you know what I remember about it? Why? Darned woolen, homemade darned woolen socks. <laughs> you'd be walking along and you could feel this little lump in the bottom of your foot when you was at school. Yeah. And you realise it's um, a darning, darning patch. <laughs> so that's where it was, that's what it was like, that mm. sort of thing. Yeah, my mum tells me stories uh, growing up in New Zealand in the 60s, 70s and the the outfits and, you know, walking for kilometres to get to school and, you know, my grandparents were always shifting, working on farms and working in sawmills. My mum started working in the sawmill really early on. She was definitely too young to... Hard work. Yeah. We did it, though. Mm, you get by. Yeah. But then, you, you know, you... You started uh, making things. Was it? Did you start making before you went to uni? I was drawing, but not real. Just doing it for myself. Mm-hmm. And Ray used to stay at my ex-mother-in-law's colonial accommodation. I was driving a truck in those days and just doing a little bit of drawing, not much. And then he dropped, kept dropping books off, and that went for a few years. And then I went and did a degree in Launceston Campus in nineteen ninety-two. The year I was born. Well, there you go. <laughs> it was a good year. What a good year. It was an excellent year. And what kind of books was Raymond dropping on? Oh, Toulouse the Trek and oh, there's heaps of them. Suzanne mm. and You know, it's funny because I've got a book uh here right now that Raymond lent me. So he's it doesn't sound like he's changed at all. <laughs> no, he he probably had books all over Tasmania, <laughs> loaned out. Yeah, he was pretty influential. Still is. He's good support. Mm. Mm, so beyond Raymond's support and influence, what was the the catalyst to going to uni to study art? It just seemed like a good idea. I think it was an idea someone put into my head. Mm. But I think that those they didn't realise that that would be my drive. So going to art school sort of took me on a completely different path that it was became familiar, if that sounds funny. But um, why I'd struggled in my younger days was because I wasn't doing art. I wasn't being creative. But I didn't I didn't have any idea of that side of the world. Does that make sense? It was either work, get married, have children, work, blah, 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 blah. And then yeah, there was an, there's another side to life that you don't know. If someone doesn't show it to you, you don't know it's there. They don't show mm. you the first step. And that's what Ray did and then that sort of took me up the art path, shall we say, <laughs> away from family and all that sort of stuff. And then um, bought a restaurant with the wife at the time and then that fell over and then someone else I met led me on another path, a spiritual path, so I used my art my drawings with with that spirituality side of things. Mm. So that took me all over Australia, just about, except for West Australia. Mm. What, drawings. Was, what was that like? What does that look like, you drawing in a spiritual way? Yeah, it was doing um, psychic readings, but using drawings, 
So the symbols would come up like symbols on a card deck, but I'd use I'd draw them out, and then I'd be able to tell the people a story about the drawing that I was seeing for them and what they were relaying to me. So they sit opposite me on the table, and I do a drawing, and they could see one drawing, and I was doing another, mm. and that's what was telling me that the story, their story, or part of their story. Sometimes it was past healings. Sometimes it was like um, uh, futuristic or into the future, past. But more more times than not, it was about keeping them still and in the now so they could see it all for themselves. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And what, what did those drawings look like? I mean, were they... Sort of a pencil and paper, or did you use colours? Colour, they were mainly pastel on black paper. Mm. So the idea of black paper is drawing from dark to light all the time. So that process of drawing from the darkness of or from the past or from pain or all those sort of things, I'm not saying past and pain are the same, but, yeah, so using colour on black paper to project forward and bring symbols and... Stories like mm. photography, marriage, divorce sometimes, <laughs> all those little stories that happen in people's lives. Does that make sense too? Mm. So, yeah, there were some people have had probably 10 or 12 of those drawings over the years. So they keep coming back and asking me more questions about what they should do, what they could do, what paths open for them. But normally people know that. Mm. They just want verification or mm-hmm. validation, a better word. Yes. I mean, that's that's it. That's the big thing. Everyone's frightened of the future, more or less. That's yeah. a big statement, but... So oh, I think you're right. I think there's an aspect of um, fearing change as well, desperately wanting change, um, that's it. but fearing it. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Going two different directions at once. Mm. Wanting change, but... Want, um, Frightfully, frightened, scared of it, mm. and that's what's. That's the only constant, really, isn't it? In yeah, and it's hard to, you know, wrap your head around that. You know, feeling these two almost opposing things at yeah. the same time. Yeah, but it happens all our life, all the way. Mm. Everything we do, you know. When and we're do you born, think get... that's the thing that keeps us from being in the moment? Mm. That's a good one. Norman, what happens to people is um, routine, like you were saying, lack of change. So they recognise things that are that are upon them now that happened to them in the past and they feel or they think think that that's going to be the same outcome and they realise that in the past it's always been the wrong way to go, so then they get confused about what they should do. But normally what happens with people is they think about things and I try to get them to feel that moment or feel that story that they're talking about. So as soon as they start to feel it, it becomes a different, oh, I was going to say thing, but that's not the right word, but that becomes... Um, Maybe a different experience? Yes, yes. So it's like, you know, having... Expectations is what people expect the same thing is going to happen when 
and they think the same thing's going to happen. So the thought process is the same, but feelings is a whole lot different. Kettle of fish. Does that make sense? Mm. So as soon as you feel feel into a situation, it becomes a bit different than thinking into a situation. To me, that I feel like that requires so much trust. Yeah, but trust comes in the fact that of enjoyment. So just to go back to me doing drawings and the people sitting on the other side, they actually get involved in the drawing, not so much themselves or me. So that they get involved in that space in the middle. Mm. And that's where they get upset or they get agitated or they become relaxed or become happy, sad, all those emotions start to come through and they allow them to come through because they're not concentrating on holding them in. You're allowing them to flow through because it's only what happens there is it stays there between that person and myself and it only comes out in the drawing but it's not something that you can look at from outside and see the, see the discussion, if that makes sense, because the symbols are, are designed or drawn for that particular person in that particular order. Mm. So, But the other thing about the drawings is important is that when those people take those drawings home and they either frame them or they put them on the wall in some way, other people look at it from their family or friends and they comment on the drawing as well. So the drawing continues to evolve for those people. So the, the comment they get on it, oh, it's a nice picture, oh, that's an ugly picture or that's a mess or that's beautiful or whatever, that person can sort of gauge a little bit more of where they are in other people's eyes as well, having that common denominator that we drew that we drew for them mm. previous. Does that make sense too? Mm. Yeah, I was thinking about, um, you know, I was saying to you before that Nat and Ollie's uh, episode is going out this week, the week that we're you and I are recording together. And um, that's something that we sort of spoke very lightly on in that conversation at the beginning of the year about how how people perceive us um, versus how we see ourselves. And that there's all of this, you know, you're, when you and I are sitting across from each other, you're bringing all of your learning and your history um, to your perception of me. And I'm bringing all of my history to my perception of you. Mm. And what, what is, what is it to truly see another person without all of that, all of our own baggage? Yeah, well, that's, well, just go back to the drawing because that makes it important for a resting place for those people to trust each other on. Mm. And does that make sense? Mm. So they can have that dialogue like you and I at the moment, but if we had that other uh, dimension, if you want, in the middle there, we could be, we could be, talk to each other and accepting of each other's opinion. Oh, that's a bad word, but other person's conversation. Mm. Do you know? And when you've got that pause and that space starts to open, the other people, the other person can see the other person. It becomes a, um, like an honesty there. Mm. And someone, if you can see somebody and they can see you, it becomes a trust thing without it being 
uh, chore or task. Is that intimacy? Is that real intimacy? I don't think it's intimacy in, in, in the word in the context of that word. I don't understand. I don't think it's intimacy. I just think it's an honesty mm. where you can look at that person and see that person for a, for a, for a moment. It's just a nice thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We've got to, all got to have our own makeup if you want our own ideas and thoughts and secrets and. That's what we are as humans. Pretty poor, really. <laughs> Sorry. I uh, know. I was just thinking, I wonder what your secrets are. <laughs> oh, it's huge. I mean, it doesn't, you know, there's um, my experiences that I've had up to this point, the 62, what happens in that? I, I can't speak for other people in that regard. And whatever they do, but in my regard, it's I need to go through these periods of experience, and then my readings open up again for another group of people to come through, and they relate they related to my experiences at the same time. Um, it doesn't sound I haven't explained that very well, but uh, it sounds like you're talking about an exchange. You know, I can't speak into other people's experiences if I haven't experienced them to some degree on my own for myself. But it's 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 interesting because um, when you do that spiritual side of things, when you're drawn to somebody, it's for some reason, whether it's a good reason or an angry reason or an upset reason, you're meant to show that person something or they're meant to show you something. Is it like the difference between um, like karma and... Dharma in relation to uh, spirituality and um, the different relationships that we have. There's uh, the karmic relationship, which is more to do with um, working working something out. There's a, like a tension. This is a very rudimentary explanation, but there's a there's a tension and a lesson happening. Um, whereas with a, a dharmic relationship. That's more, um, I guess, a soul-led um, relationship. Uh, and when I say relationship, I don't just mean one person and another person. I mean it, in an action and in your art practice and whatever it is, you, you're, uh, that relationship is operate, operating at a higher plane, I guess, a, a purer experience. Well, well, that possibly always happening, isn't it? Mm. And that's a good thing about past because you can have those hindsight moments, you know. Oh, that's why I was doing this. That's why. So I, I, it's, I don't think there's any difference between the two. I just think they operate at different times or they operate at different levels. Mm. That karmic level is it's, you can get to a certain point, I feel, in your life where karma becomes a good thing. You can have good karma. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is very true. I just wonder how enlightened we need to be in order to receive that. Oh, I don't think. You just need to be accepting of the fact. Sometimes it's out there. Sometimes it's a bit full on for people, but you've just got to be accepting of the facts or of the of the story or of the the moment, the vision or the, the image, do you know? Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, acceptance is a funny is a funny thing. It's um I think all humans 
struggle to accept. Yeah, that's why we're so driven to learn how to be in the moment, practicing being in the moment, because it's like, I guess that's the ultimate in acceptance. As soon as you accept it, you can move on from it if you need to. The now becomes a bit bigger. How I came to do um, my spiritual drawings was the fact that I went through some really heavy shit. And not saying no one else has done that. But when I started doing it, all the people that were going through or starting out on that journey were the ones that sat with me. And I had no say in that. So where I was, say, up the road, sometimes I was speaking into my past for those people's future. And yeah, giving them uh, a nice coloured picture with symbols on it that meant more to them than the voice because mm-hmm. it was a moment of remembering that moment for them. So they'd look at the picture and they could remember bits and pieces, you know. And the other thing about, I'll just go there, back a bit there because the beautiful thing about using pastel is I use a whole range of colours on the one drawing for the people, for those people, and... If they're in a nice, happy mood, all the bright colours come through the pastel, through the picture. If they're in a bit of a melancholy mood or a sad mood, that that seems to go into a darker picture. So the darker colours come through, the blues and the greys and the blacks. Then there's another picture forms within that. Does that make sense? Mm. Within that drawings is the depth of what we've been speaking about. But other people can't see that because it's not the same feeling they look at it with because most people, that drawing, thank you, that drawing we started at the darkness part and brought it through with the light. So when other people view it, if it's on the wall, they only see that front part, do you know? They see the light. They don't, yeah, they see the, the, the bright colours on the surface if you want and then they start looking, of course, but they can't go right back to the core. Mm. It's difficult for them anyhow. And you're starting at the core and working your way yeah, out so, instead yeah. of starting on the outside and trying to go in. And that's that's the drawing. That's mm. what happens. It draws that out, you know. And the, as the colour progresses through the drawing from dark to light, so does that person's perception of where they need to go or where they would desire to go or like to go or know they're going there. Does that mm. make sense? So it's a process of drawing that, building that drawing up that is that future projection for those people. And they helped me draw that picture. Yeah. Does that make sense? Collaborative effort. Yeah. And that's, I feel that's what um, people appreciate about it the most. Plus, I can talk like nothing else. There's something that um, I would really like to talk with you about. And that's your sculptural works. When, uh, and I've said this to you before, when I first came to Queenstown and I saw your work for the first time, I was, I felt very drawn to your work. And it's been, you know, over the past couple of years, first of all, your work is so recognizable, it's so intrinsically your style, it's unmistakable. 
But the more that I see your work, even if it's the same, if I'm seeing the same piece or or the same pieces or it's something new, my relationship with your work, I find it deepening all the time. Oh, cool. And I'm feeling more and more every time I come back to it. Um, So I think really I'd, I'd like to ask you about your process now you create the things that you do it's um it's probably the same similar process to what as you said about the drawings is about having something there then making something out of that mm. it sounds really but a lot of my work's around found object but working that found object as well and not and trusting the process that they'll all be come close together at the end all the different pieces does that make sense but yeah so it's the process you know it's knowing that there's going to be an outcome, good, bad, or indifferent. But and not you worrying. accept it. <laughs> yeah, you have to because it's the process. I enjoy the process more than the outcome. It took me a long while to like my artwork because it was That's the process. Well, yeah, it was, it was the process, mm. the process I liked. But then the outcome these last couple of years since I've come back home, which is really funny, have been um, satisfying. So there's a bit more like landing on home turf and making stuff from that because the ones I'm doing at the moment are all about underground landscape. So everyone, I saw an interesting show the other day with Tony Ware where he'd Mm. done some pictures from the boats with the boats, you know, where normally it's the artist on the beach looking at the landscape or looking at the waterscape. Mm. We'd done them off the the boat, which is nice, it's a nice difference. Mm. And so minor landscapes are about um, being under the ground as well as being on top of the ground. Like working at Mount Lyle, it's working underground. I mean, I wasn't doing any mining or anything such like the other guys, but you know, I think I was there just to have a look, really, and go through those um, dark moments and working, you know, going to work in the dark, working in the dark and come home in the dark some days. That was the most, and play in the dark as well. So I think it was just to experience all that and do what I did before and then come back here and make art about it, not really knowing uh, the outcome. But the process has always been important. So the process has led me to an outcome that I find uh, enjoyable or I actually like. So they're all, they're all the same. It's like I spoke to you before about finding your mark, you know, your mm. your way of doing stuff. And that's what those copper and metal ones are about as well because it's we talk about the mine and I know there's um, – I always get this word wrong, get in trouble. I know there's females that work in the mine now mm-hmm. but when I was brought up with it, no one really took much notice of the mothers and the daughters and the – the wives, you know, and the kids and stuff like that. When the partner went to work, um, they were the ones in the firing line, of course, but there was other people that were still worried about them or had to feed. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the mother, that's what those ones are about, the copper and metal ones are about, about the, the female aspect of mining. Mm. And then that's where China Girl and Forgiving and all those other ones came from. And they're all found object. And they're beautiful. They're they're um, they're incredibly feminine. They're incredibly um, they're these very 
raw, severe angles and edges. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's. But it doesn't translate as masculine at all. And that's important, isn't it? It's got to have a certain amount of toughness, or you did to live in this place, and um, that's what those. There were supposed to be thirteen of them, but. People liked them, so I could only show six, five, five, which was nice. Um, but yeah, that was what—that's what that was about, you know. And, and the machine drawings are about the landscape and how it was scarred, and and that process of doing one picture using machines and grinders and stuff like that. The whole evolution of that scarred mountainscape. The next ones will. Have the, gradually have their colour added to them, so that'd be an ongoing process. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. So the process is not only the hour and a half it takes to do a drawing, as such, but but maybe it's the nine and a half or ten years that it takes to get to the colour aspect of it. So mm. the process is so important, you know. Yeah, I like the um, I like the idea of a piece continuously changing. Yeah, it's it yeah. feels very in line with with nature, you know. When you make something, and it's um, and it's static, and it's just it's it's there and it's done and it doesn't nothing happens anymore. It's um almost like a like a dead thing. Yeah, it is. It's like it's the same as the um the mining process, really. Mm. So we start out and then we. Here, when they were using the smelter, we, we end up with a copper ingot and then that was shipped off to someone else, somewhere else to make something out of. Mm. Does that make sense too? Yeah. So the process here in Queenstown was important at one stage. You know, does that make sense? How do you, how do you feel that Queenstown has changed since you were younger? What does it... I, I imagine, and this is just my projection or my, you know, my imagination, I imagine that Queenstown was very dynamic and it was busier. In, in my mind, I think of it as being busier, moving a bit faster. Because now that the mines aren't open, well, they're not, they are, but they're not, it's not the same. Um, everything... F- you know, it was one of the first things I noticed when I when I moved here was just no one rushes anywhere. Everyone is sort of all on their own time and um most, you know. most people know each other. Is there a big difference between how it felt to live here then as opposed to how it feels to live here now? Oh god, yes. Mm. I mean there was um I can't remember how many pubs were open. I can't remember any young fellas like me owned, went back when owned V8s and motorbikes. That was full on. Mm. And there was the other things, <laughs> which we <laughs> all quote, got in. Quote, other things. That was full. I mean, I was only, you know. Were you a bit teens. of a rascal? <laughs> oh, the rat bag. <laughs> yeah. Was the only way I could keep up to the rest of them. Mm. I wasn't very good at sport and stuff like that. I always wanted to do art and play the piano and stuff, but that was thought to be a bit weird. So you had to find other ways to stay within the 
clique, if you want, or the group or whatever. Was that important then? Being yeah, because they didn't know anything else. The, yeah. You know, art was making enamelled copper plates and, you know, brooches and reading art history and stuff. It wasn't very much fun involved in that, mm. you know. So, yeah, you had to sort of, if you weren't good at sport and you wanted to do art, but so you had to do the sex, drugs and rock and roll thing. You had to be hyper-masculine somehow. Yeah, well, you know, it's a hard place. It was a hard place to live then. It's, it's good now. But mm. then I've come back 40 years later looking at it from a different point of view. Mm. So if you wanted for a better explanation is looking at a hard rock from underground, now I can have that experience as being underground and look at it from the top. So then I'll get this sandwich point of view, you know, knowing what was underneath, how difficult it was for a lot of people. But now I can see the change happening on the top. It's really interesting. So that's what a lot of my art's about as well. And that's why I've used copper and the machinery to do my drawings and my paintings because mm. it's that, that idea of seeing from both points of view, x-rays. Yeah, it feels like there's the, almost like these uh, two different timelines that are happening concurrently. All the time. Yeah. So the, the resilience of the West Coast people is amazing. They're mm. pretty strong. And um, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You still got to have that strength, and you can see that it's growing through that. Whether it's through all these artists coming in, these craftsmen people coming into town or not, you still got to have that core of strength. You still got to have that, you know, on the edge. Mm. You still got to have the people who are used to living on the edge. Mm. And I hope we don't lose that. I doubt we will. I mean, that's why any other town may have shut down, moved, you know, become a bit more of a ghost town, maybe. Had its moments there. When I when I left, it, the hills were orange and yellow and brown. When I came back, they were green as. <laughs> so you thought I'm amazing. in the wrong place. Yeah, it was it? different. <laughs> it took a little while, you know. And going away with the dialogue of West Coast dialogue, if you want, for a better word, mm. and coming back with a little bit more experience of, of other things, it was a bit difficult to connect to some of those um, situations in the town, you know. So you try the old way, it doesn't work, so then you do the other way, it still doesn't work, so you just do what you do yourself. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you've got to be yourself. It's an extremely difficult thing to do. It is. But that's your most rewarding thing. Mm. Just be at peace of who you are. are difficult. You, <laughs> do you feel that way? Are you at peace? Oh. Gee, that's a good question, isn't it? It's funny when you're doing something and you're enjoying it, you're at the moment, you've got peaceful moments or you're at, a, you're at peace at that moment. Sometimes when you sit down, you get all fidgety and mm. want to keep moving and stuff like that, do you know? So there's this always an opposition to what you, how you want to be, mm. whether it comes from other people, the, the, the place where you're at. The place where you want to be. Yeah. Funny. But this is, I like this place. I love it. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, the last time that we tried to record, we were talking about uh, 
I don't know if it's a confidence thing or I, I don't know what it is, but we were talking about this desire, this need that we have to, to look around. We touched on it earlier, but look around for validation from other people. Yeah, am I doing the right thing? And that, that conversation that we had really, really stayed with me because, um, you know, nothing, nothing good ever seems to come from doing the same, doing the same thing. I mean, there is a very big difference between your individuality for individuality's sake. Um, but staying in this the, the same lane as everyone else, moving together as a as a group, and and that that doesn't work either. I mean, no one's no one is ever the same, mm. are they? But we do desperately want to. I think we we dumb ourselves down, or we try to smooth out. These, these edges, these things that don't fit so that we can be accepted by the group. But that's not, you know, we're talking about honesty before. Well, some, I mean, people don't believe that they can do it themselves, whatever, is, is to talk to somebody about future things and all that. So the people that we try to please are also trying to help us get on with what we need to do. Quite often mm. they can see where they, we need to be before we can. So that trying to fit in is only trying to be accepting what other people say and do, mm. I feel. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that, that difference is, um, as soon as Marcel Duchamp became <laughs> successful, he changed his ways. He stopped making art and started playing chess. And as soon as he became successful. So maybe that's what you're talking about. Is that not wanting to be successful because then maybe it's a culmination of your artwork or our artwork, not yours. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's that wanting to be successful, wanting to be accepted, but not really wanting to be successful or accepted because it may be the end of something that you really love to do. So there's that there's that other part of it there as well. Mm. Does that make sense? There's a magic realism writer, I think he's like the father of magic realism, and um, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and I think that um, he, he wrote, um, God, what was it, 100 Years of Solitude, I think, and uh, he, I think he had said, you know, he became very successful, um, and at one point he said, you know, if I, if I ever, ever thought that I would have become this successful, I never would have written a word. It's funny, isn't it? Mm. It's true, though, isn't it? Mm. You've got to do what you've got to do. But sometimes we don't know what that is. So mm. we've got to leave it up to trust, to whatever energy or higher power you believe in, to guide us along that path. As long as it feels good, it's got to be right. So if it feels good... That's pretty good, superficial, isn't it? Do it. Well, I feel. So, the only thing that you know you're good at making is mistakes. <laughs> the only thing you're going to learn from is your mistakes. And they turn out to be um, only wrong at that time. They're not wrong now, if it happened a while ago. So that it's whether we believe it or not, people say, I don't want to make the same mistake twice. Well, we, we choose to do that. Mm. We never actually do it 
Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. We choose to make those, and that's choices. Usually it concerns the mind or the brain, whatever you want to call it. Mm. But if we if we love doing something, it's a heart, it's a heartfelt thing. Yeah, when I was younger, um, I would just I think I had this idea that I would leave everything up to fate and I just went along not really making any conscious decisions, not thinking about what I wanted or if the situation I was in was good or bad or and I and I for so long thought that I wasn't I was deliberately not making any decisions and when I look back on it now I realize I made the decision to disengage from my life mm. and that that's a that is a decision that I consciously made but you still had a little, you still lived a life mm. you didn't disengage from that one no, but I disengage. I think I disengaged from myself. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know if you could do that, can you? Mm. You still got to be in some state, same some form. <laughs> I, I don't know. I worked oh, very I hard to not be in any form <laughs> for a little while there. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and I, I, but I do find there's something about that that disconnection. I think that breeds this destruction and then um, the moments that I feel most connected you know is when I'm talking to someone like you for the podcast or if I'm um, making work and that's that's a that's a inherently creative experience doesn't matter if you don't put anything down on paper mm. or campus either mm. You still have that process. Does that make sense? Mm. I keep saying that word. So you can still have the process. You can just document it in some way, shape or form. So you go through that process. You so say you work your way through that because you've got to have a – to bring out something, to produce a piece of work, you've got to have um, both doubt and confidence and – Happiness and sadness, mm, maybe all those emotions, <laughs> all those, yeah. So this year you received the West Coast Artist Commission uh, from the Unconformity, yeah. which is um, an acquisitive commission, and you're going to make a work specifically for the Unconformity. Um, do you have any thoughts on what you might do? It'll be a machine drawing. What kind of machine? How? How? It'll, I mean, just grinders and sanders and mm. heat, water, the whole whole range of things that I've been using. But I'll incorporate other things in there as well. And there'll be colour coming to that one. Mm. The only problem of having something planned never comes out that way. Yeah. <laughs> I'll start a couple of drawings. So start a couple of panels. How large are they? I mean, yeah, some um, of the panels are 1,900 just... by 12, this one. Oh, it's big. 1,800 by 12, sorry. Do you like working on a large scale? Uh, on the board I'm using, I do. Mm. Canvases I struggle with. Why? I'm trying to do a couple of paintings at the moment. I haven't painted in oils for years. And it's like 
trying to do something to please everybody else. Ah. <laughs> so I'll put them aside and um, I'll go back to the machine part and the burning and the water and chemicals. And um, I'm doing a Mount Owen, so it has to be Mount Owen, doesn't it? Can't be anything else really mm. for me anyhow. So it's that idea of what you see on top is compared to what the feeling was underneath of that or just to the left of Mount Owen where Mount Lyle was but close enough to Mount Owen underneath. Mm. They bring those it's, two together. That's funny. I'm thinking, yeah, it's the from where you are, your view would be of Mount Owen, that, mm. that would be the mountain that you would see. As for me, um, I see Mount Lyle. Yeah. So it's interesting when you say, well, that that would be the mountain. You've got a Mount Owen. And then in my mind I think if Mount Owen's amazing, but I see Mount Lyle the most. So in my mind Mount, Mount Lyle is, is the mountain, you know. It's got to be similar underneath, doesn't it? Mm. I hope so. <laughs> but that's the that's the plan to have that. Um, it's, it's going to be difficult. Why? Well, because it's there's a planned outcome. Like there's an outcome expected, but uh, it'll mm. get there. But it's a an outcome, planned outcome. So there's more control in this one. So it'll take a bit longer. Do you feel restricted? No, no, it's good. I think that. Um, it tightens everything up, so it brings everything back to tight, being tight. Uh, I've got to follow certain lines and certain shapes um, and try um, attempt to control the, the medium, the acid or the, the other chemicals that I use to mark the board with. So mm. there's more of a control thing there. So it's a bit more of a challenge, which is good. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to doing it, but... Um, Oh, it'll take a bit longer, which is nice. Mm. Patience, you know, for me, which is not a virtue. Such. It is a little bit now. I'm getting a bit older, but it wasn't before, I can tell you. No. Too much of a hurry. Then you have to go back and go back over the same things again. Mm. That's the beauty about slowing down, like you spoke about before. You don't have to keep checking on what you've just done. It's a bit more of a trusting slowing down. So, therefore, we don't have to keep going backwards and forwards. Your progression forward, even though you feel like you're going slower, is quite quite a fair way or quite a distance. So the slower you go, the more you can progress. That sounds weird. No, no, it's the what is it? The tortoise and the hare. Yeah, true. Do you have any advice on how to enjoy the process of art making more than the outcome? Yeah, it's not thinking about the outcome. Just, Just ignore do the, the process. final process. Have fun with what it is that you're doing at the moment because it's always into the unknown, yeah, that. So that's in the unknown is where all the magic happens. So, but it's scary. Yeah, 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 because it's the only place that's safe though because you, you're there with everything you know. So the only person you can really, really strongly trust is yourself to a certain degree and there's other people around, of course, but if you are willing to do the process and not worry too much about the outcome for a while when you'll find the magic is in the unknown or the outcome, 
Mm. So to your printing, like you were saying about your printing, it's the process yeah. of doing it. Yeah. And then you print it. It's another world, that. Actually, it's interesting because this is the first time that I've been more, you know, normally I feel a sense of relief getting to the to the end, to the outcome. And this is the first time that I've... Um, that I fear the outcome, I fear the, the printing because um, I don't know what it's going, I don't know so, what it's going to be. Yeah, exactly, expectation. Whereas if you do it and allow the magic to happen in the process, it will turn out magical. It'll, it's got a world of its own. <laughs> and that's printing's three-dimensional, it's not flat. Mm. So you etch into the plate or you do what you need, scratch into the plate, whatever, and then you squash it, <laughs> really squash it with, with paper, you know, and it's mm, not. That big cylinders, it's very daunting, isn't it, the, the but press? It's, it's, if you know that the process is going into another area that you've never been before anyhow, mm. you should just let that yeah. flow. It's not like putting pencil. I know it does dent into paper with a pencil and stuff like that and build up with paint, I get that. But with printing it is actually straight away you know it's three-dimensional, boom. So you know it's going to be totally different and it all relies on technique or the fun and the joy of making. You know, that first piece is always the hardest piece to make. And you go, oh, wow, that's, that's wow, that's different than what I thought. Mm. It's black and white, <laughs> do you know? Preparing them plates and doing all that sort of stuff is, um, you know, concentrating on enjoying the process and, and getting that uh, image that you desire and then transforming it. Let the machinery or let the other parts do the magic for you, you know. Mm. So your ideas, thoughts, mark making go into a, an unknown place mm. and you've got someone to help you roll it out. Yeah, thank, thank goodness for Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's it's nothing to be uh, frightened of. It's a matter of you first accepting what you do, and then others will follow. Mm. No one can do what you do. It doesn't matter what you you know. If everyone's doing the same thing. It's still different, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Well, it's, we're all we have different thoughts flash through our minds, and. Mm paint sticker or different colour or we don't do everything exact. Do you think that there's such a thing as bad art? <gasps> Please. Oh. That's a, that's, I don't think there's bad art. Just art that you don't like as much as other Oh, I can't like, I can't like everything. That's why it's important to have an explanation. Hmm. I can't like everything. I'm just... Stuff I do that I think, geez, that crap, I try to hide it and then Julie puts it out on the wall and someone likes it. Mm. And then other times I do something that I really like and no one else likes it. Mm. What's that about? Yeah. This doesn't make it bad art, does it? I don't think anyone does bad art. It's just you can't make everything to please everybody. I might start asking everyone this question. Are you? No, I might. I might start ah. now. This might be the well, catalyst. It's, it's an interesting question, but it's not. I don't think, as long as it's got expression behind it and an honesty that person's trying, I don't like that we're trying, that person is conveying, mm. you know. 
gently so, push themselves. Keywords: honesty, process, maybe trust. Ooh. I don't. I don't even know where the trust comes into it at the moment because um, you just enjoy the process and you know something's going to come of it. Mm. I suppose that is trust, isn't it? But yeah, I don't. I don't know. You do the thing and something will happen at some point. Yeah, that sounds a bit ambiguous, doesn't it? <laughs> well, you know you know that if you're doing something that's, that you've not done before, let's put it that way, the, the processes that you've done previous have been successful, so why not, why wouldn't they be successful in another, into another dimension or another, like two-dimensional or three-dimensional, mm. why wouldn't they be successful? Mm. It's just a matter of going off. I just like what I'm doing at the moment. That sounds good. Yeah, I, I, I feel that when you're in that place, it's um, your artwork won't be bad. So where can people find you in the world? We're in Majestic, which mm. is in Hunter Street, 1700 Street. Just call up there if the door's open, come up. <laughs> so I'll be up in the gallery or in the workshop. And um, can people find you online? Oh, that's a tricky one. I'm not on there yet, I should be. Oh, Got to get it together, David. I do. I'm a bit slack in that technology stuff. I'll tell you what I did do today. Mm. I, I played uh, Harry Manx on Spotify. <gasps> now, that was big for me. Are you using Spotify? Yeah, well, I, I couldn't get your local podcast up, so then I had to go and get Spotify. It's a whole process. Oh, that's no, all right. And then I've gone, well, maybe I can play Harry Manx through Spotify. Yeah. And up your game, me fave. Well, that's a bit of a trip. Oh, the only guy I know who can play a sitar and a guitar together. He's got the strings, one set of strings on top of the other. He plucks through them and plays guitar and sitar. Oh, that's amazing. Incredible. And he's a nice dude. I met him a couple of times. He Did tours you? around Australia and Tassie, come to Tasmania a couple of times. But he studied in India for eight years or something, five years or something. That's amazing. People are oh. amazing. He's a Canadian dude. He's <laughs> excellent. I guarantee. If you listen to Harry Manx, you'll get a buzz. All right, I will. I will. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, I loved it. I like to hear my own voice. I know you know that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. This was Local. The podcast is produced by Carter Pierce and myself. Digital media is produced by Tess Gilfeder. Our artwork was made by Gigi Gordes. The podcast is funded in part by the Regional Arts Fund and the Unconformity Festival. Why wouldn't they be successful? For more information on the podcast and its guests, please go to localthepodcast.com or localthepodcast on Facebook and Instagram.